Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world. The way it was and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. I'm your host, Todd McCartney, and tonight on episode 39, we'll be taking you back to the Hotel Plaza Boulevard in Lake Buena Vista. Uh, sitting in with me, as always, for this episode, Mr. J.T. Couser from the Rubber City Capital. How's it going there, my friend? Doing good. We had a 70-degree day here today, Woo! so it's actually got to go outside a little bit. It's I'm in a great mood this evening. Nice. And you just got back from Florida, so you had a little little vacation. Yeah, spring down break there. in the in the Diz down there. It's good time. Definitely a little busier than summer, but it was fun. <laughs> and Mr. Hal Bowers, how are you doing tonight from Tampa? Enjoying the warm weather as always down that way. Aloha. Yeah, it's gorgeous right now. It's a little cooler in the mornings and in the evenings. It's it's quite lovely. Nice. Now I can do my embroidery on the uh, on the porch <laughs> on the porch in the cool of the evening. The cool what are you embroidering? Yeah. Uh, doilies. Wow. Okay. Mainly doilies. Are you doing it for the fourth? Is that what you're prep- prepping for the fourth? Yes, as well? for the yeah. f- yes. Yep. Yeah. Where I've we volunteered our family for the big festival. We're organizing it. My son is picking out some music. Oh. We're making some costumes. Grandpa's in charge of the fireworks. It's it's going to be quite the thing. Wow, I tell you, that's what a, what a great family you have. It spans so many generations together. It does. It really does. <laughs> we, we still short one daughter, but I'm sure she'll, she'll show, show up. up yeah, she'll, she'll, yeah, you'll find her. And as always, to Mr. Brian P. Miles, how's it going, Brian? You 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 were in Florida too. We tr- you barely made it out. Greetings and salutations. I was in Florida, and I saw JT and his wife and lovely daughter. Yes. We, we literally met on Main Street in Town Square. <laughs> said, meet me on Main Street. And Kelly goes, who's that guy? Is that Brian with the red shirt over there? He's, I could see him from a mile away because you're real tall, you know. And she was like. And the hat. And the hat. I recognize the yeah. hat. The white hat. Is the, the, the best part of the picture with the two of you guys was, JT, you were using the curb to come up to <laughs> Brian's did. height. You know, <laughs> I'd still be friend. about a foot short. I actually but. stepped down off the curb for that. Photo, oh, so. all right. So <laughs> we should have done the opposite. I should have been right. on like, who is this guy? Look how big he is. For me, Brian will have to remove a sewer grate and step down into that. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, so, so here it, uh, we have also had our first uh, plus seventy day today, uh, just like JT in Ohio. And I immediately came home from work, put on a pair of shorts, and went out and got the uh, the cushions out of the storage closet for the outdoor furniture. So the first thing I did was put the cushions on the outdoor furniture, so I can sit outside because we're going up into the eighties this weekend. I don't know what that is. Yeah, I drove yourself up in the frozen tundra of New England. That's right. I I drove through snow last Friday. So, all right. Well, it's time to move on to comments and corrections. Uh, Last month, how you talked about a welcome center that was uh, located on, I think we said 75. 
And uh, Wayne uh, wrote in to us, says he can remember in his 12-hour drives from Alabama, uh, once you hit 75 South, you felt like you were almost there. Um, it really started to hit home in Ocala, and uh, it was early enough he would always stop just to get a taste of Disney. There are a couple different billboards along 75 promoting uh, Florida Information Station and obviously promoting Walt Disney World since it was pretty pretty nearby and the Welcome Station. Um so the coolest part of this was in 94, 95, uh, before a trip, he pulled out his Alpine head unit. Anybody want to give her? I mean, Alpine's legit. You know, it's a decent yeah. brand. So kids, this is back in the day when you, you could actually replace your stereo. I guess you can replace your stereo now, but it's oh, very difficult. Oh, you still can. So the issue was before everyone just had factory stereos with Bluetooth, if you wanted to have... <laughs> CD. If you wanted to, CDs or something, you would often have to go to a third party. Yes. And you would go to a Best Buy and they would replace your factory one with a third party one. Like Alpine was one of the brands. Sony was also big. Pioneer. But these things were notorious for getting stolen. Yep. So uh, the very first generation, they made it so that way the entire radio would actually come out of your car with a little handle on it. You carry it like a briefcase (laughs) with a handle. Eventually, they made it so that way just the faceplate came off, and then they charged like a ridiculous amount of money for a replacement faceplate, like $200 or something. So that was to discourage people from stealing the radio. So that's, that's, that's a little dip in history there. Yeah. So he pulled out this unit, hooked up some RCA connectors to it, and recorded the radio loop that ran for 20 minutes. So uh, he's included that. So let's take a a real quick listen to to part of that. The easiest way to make reservations at a Walt Disney World Resort Hotel is to stop at the official Disney AAA Travel Center in Ocala. You can even make dinner reservations at a Disney restaurant tonight. It's fast and right on your way. The Disney AAA Travel Center is open to everyone from 8.30 to 7 daily. Take I-75 to exit 68. This is Disney Radio. All right, so Wayne, we really thank you for for sending that in. It's not often that people would pull over on the side of the road and <laughs> record some of and, the radio and do the kind of thing we would do. Yeah. That's right, and yeah. and how did do right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's very comical because at that era, that's tricky to get an output. You know what I'm saying? Like hooked up to a, a in the way he did. I mean, that's, oh yeah. That's, that's well, cool. we, we we should mention that Wayne told us uh, his family and he are in the radio business, so he, he it was uh. it was an interest of his, but. Now, and that's the reason why those signs are all over that's saying, do not pull over here for pictures or pulling out your head unit. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. So, Wayne, thank you for sending that. And that's an awesome little little piece of history there. So, all right, guys, last month we, you know, was was Communicore. And I think we got a really great response. I want to thank everybody who wrote into us regarding um, Communicore. And um, I got really excited now to go ahead and, and get ready for Communicore West. And we've made some contact with some um, individuals that have some very, very unique connections to Communicore West. So I'm really looking forward to discussing that this summer. Um, but again, thank you to everybody who, who you know, wrote in and, and send us some comments on, on uh, Communicore. Uh, I, think, I think 
that specific episode really hit home for a lot of you because uh, it definitely was a lot of the places that you stopped and a lot of the computers and technology that, that you remember. Um, and I guess we should apologize for mentioning how cool the touch screens were. How many times did I, I, after I edited, I realized we said touch screen probably about 400 times <laughs> in the episode, but how a couple people wrote in regarding how the technology of touch screen we know today, which is, uh, I believe capacity, capacitance re- related the way that it works with the on the screen and the old ones were actually infrared beams right that crossed and your yeah, finger I thought we mentioned that in the in the podcast I thought we did I too not. yeah I feel bad for that we didn't do that then so this is what this is where the nomenclature of touch screen gets a little dicey so some people wrote in and said well it really wasn't touch screen because you were if you can imagine these uh, infrared beams crossing the yeah, television picture like screen. a grid, yes. like an invisible grid going across the front of the television. Right. So when you put your finger in front of it, you ne- didn't really have to touch the screen. You were breaking the beam. So your fis- your finger really didn't have to touch the screen. There was nothing on the screen that would do anything. But nevertheless, people, as we talked about, would actually physically press on the screen because they were looking for that feedback. Um, we didn't know. We were just kids. That's right. That we, had no that we did talk about on the show. Right. Uh, right. Pressing, pressing hard. Um, and uh, we did get some footage afterwards, and we tweeted it out. So if you go to the website and look for the Communicore footage, we got some great Communicore West footage that we merged with um, uh, East footage and put the two together, and it's fantastic. And uh, there is a, uh, somebody there with their fingernail, and they're, they're trying to flick the little car through that uh, energy exchange game, and they can't do it, and their finger's going up and up and up and over and over and over. So it's, it's, a, good, it's a good look. But So, yes, they weren't officially touch screens in quotes there uh but it's the the most that anybody had ever seen at that time and and now that you've corrected us on the touch screens fans you can go back to correcting people that the utilidors aren't really underground that's that's right <laughs> we, we get it we, we, we get appreciate it. We, it. It. we love you <laughs> and your attention to detail and insistence on accuracy right well you know what and this is also Part of this podcast is is a trip back in time, and we love to hit on some of the the old technology. Uh, one of my favorite parts last month actually was talking about the disc camera. That was great as we were going through the different features. So, bringing that back, uh, it's, it's we're bringing retro back in more ways than one. So, with that, uh, again, thanks for everybody who wrote in uh, regarding Communicore East and West will be coming up uh, this summer. I hope. All right, JT Mailbag, how are we doing this month? There, we did good. Uh, good, good turnout. And, uh, you know, I want to start with Wayne again. Uh, Wayne wanted to touch base with us also about a uh, Disney Channel episode, which I don't know if this was necessarily made for the Disney Channel, but uh, it was called Walt Disney World, A Dream Come True. Uh, says, I've watched it about a thousand times. It has some great shots of the Coaster Creation Communicore. And he shared with us a link. And we thought this was interesting. At the 3550 mark, you can see the... Uh, smart one and the coaster display behind him and uh, all that good stuff on that video and I kind of skimmed through it share a link in the show notes but uh, yeah good one from Wayne there on the kind of connecting to our last episode Wayne is our multimedia supplier this month Wayne is for sure all right next one is from David Avella David says love the pod guys two things I loved as a child but he's never been able to we'll say, uh, re-experience them. The first one, which I think you guys would all agree, uh, which I didn't experience this. Actually, no, I take it back. I did. Uh, the return hand stamp smell must have uh, really hit his nasal passages uh, in a good way. Uh, do you guys remember that smell at all? I didn't smell my hand after they stamped it. <laughs> I recall the stamp, but 
I, uh, you know, everybody's got their thing, like the the pirate ride smell. The I, I yeah, it must be like one of those things. So like that, I don't know. I I don't remember the smell, but one thing that was interesting about that is you know, um, you know that that was set to work under ultraviolet or black light to appear. I, I'm assuming yes. that's the stamp he's referring to. Um, I was I was riding on the friendship cruise boat in, in Epcot one day, and the two doors slid past each other, and those windows are tinted. And they have some sort of UV protecting on them to prevent, I guess, from getting too hot in the ship. When the two doors slid past each other, it doubled up that protective layer. And my hand started to slightly glow from the sun coming through the filter. So it was really interesting. I had never experienced it anywhere else outside of the wands. But sure enough. So if you have any of that glow paint and you want something to do, find a friendship cruise, go to the double doors. (laughs) lather it on your hands and see what happens but yeah so you know i i remember going riding mr toad after coming back in and then just being fascinated by watching the light right you know show up in there and in snow white where there were black lights in those attractions right very cool well uh yeah and the other thing he's uh, uh one of those memories was the resort tv from the 70s and he remembers a woman in the traditional plaid skirt uh who used to be the tour guide uh, is like a, a guide on the show. I don't remember this because uh, we were, of course, you know, in the the campgrounds back then, and they didn't. We didn't have the TV hookup. So, <laughs> did you have someone that would like tell the story by a campfire? It was like they'd reenact the television, <laughs> both like puppets or something. They had those flip books where you'd flip through, <laughs> and the animation would go. Yeah, there were squirrels. No, it was yeah. Somebody legit came around and mimed it. You know, in front town of our site. Yes. <laughs> I want to say the earliest resort TV we've seen, there's some circulation of somebody pointing their video camera at the screen like circa around 1980. Um, I mean, video cameras, the beta beta cams came out, I want to say 77 or 78 and were pretty rare um, in those early years because they were so expensive. So it's... um, it, you, you, there, there's really nothing out there that I know of from bef- like from the seventies, you know, it became more, more common to like, honey, I'm going to record everything. Cause I've got this one cassette and I can fit two hours on it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that became more common around 80, 81. You started to see more of it, especially after VHS cameras came out. Yeah. People, when they start taking their uh, VHS players and recording off the TV, that whole deal. I, I don't know how much of that. I mean, you, 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 but you definitely got the 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 cameras. The people had their, you know, oh yeah, and you could record on that point too. Point them at the screen. Yeah, they'd point them at the TV screen, and mm-hmm. sure, so that used to be the way to uh, dub a uh, rental VHS tape. You'd hook that up to your your VCR, go tape to tape in a super high quality <laughs> fashion. Yeah, yeah. So so for you kids out there that want to know what us delinquents did back in the day, <laughs> it was too. It was way too expensive. To, I mean, a VCR, I think the first VCR my my dad got was like $800 in 1982 or something. Like. Yeah. I mean, it's an absurd amount of money. It's like two grand now. Well, it's more, I think it's even more than that. It's like, <laughs> like $2,500 or something. And, uh, you know, you just, nobody had two of them. Except for my fr- except for my friend Jimmy's dad, who was a cop. And you must be rich. Yeah, <laughs> you got two TVs. They, two TVs, exactly. Just like the McFlies. Do you have a television? Well, yeah, you know we have two of them. Wow, you must be rich. 
Oh, honey, he's teasing you. Nobody has two television sets. Yeah, people like figured out. I mean, I know the, the first E.T. and the first Return of the Jedi I had were bootlegs of literally people pointing video cameras <laughs> at the screen. And I must have watched that awful, awful Return of the Jedi like a thousand times before it was actually released because it didn't get released on video. If I want to say to like 1986 or something like oh, that. Oh, really? Yeah. They waited like two years to, to, to bring it out. And make sure you rewind it in the 57 Chevy Rewinder so you don't ruin your dad's VCR. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I re- my recollection is rewinders more became like a late 80s thing. Like I yeah. don't remember them being as big in the early 80s. Like you just rewound them on your machine until some strap job decided, oh, that, that's not good for your machine. <laughs> right. that, that's Here's exactly what it was. Crap. They thought they a market employee to sell something <laughs> yeah. because it wasn't good for the machine. <laughs> Total crap. Total crap. <laughs> the scam of it was, and not to go too in-depth, there of the retro no, technology we're going but, depth, guys. but we are um so what what happened with the rewinders is people said that it was bad because the tape was running past the the read head and that's the head it it was this spinning disc on an angle that would read the tape and uh they said it would it, because you were running it past the read head so fast it would you know score it or, or cause a you know an issue with it the truth of the matter is when you put a VHS tape in, these mechanical arms would actually pull the tape and wrap it around the head. But when you did a fast forward or rewind, it would actually pull it back away from the head. So it was a complete farce that there was, there was, you weren't going to burn anything out. But, uh, but I owned it. one, you owned one, all of us owned a, a We all fell for machine. it. We all yeah. fell it for it. It was really fast. That was the it, big it, thing. It was really it was fast. Faster. And you could watch other things and do other things and not worry about your machine taking forever <laughs> you to turn, rewind. If you turn <laughs> the TV volume way up, the thing sounded like a 747 in my living room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, David, thank you for writing in that that spawning off an entire retro uh, videotape conversation. I uh, so. love it. Love yeah. it. All right, uh, final one here. I have from John W. He says, Hi, I just found your show, and as the subject of this email said, it's my new favorite. He has a Walt Disney World memory for us, and a question relates to it. His first memory wasn't a happy one, because when I was very small, I thought the Magic Kingdom was uh, an indoor place that smelt of cheese. That's that's very funny. Uh, I thought this was because Mickey and Minnie were both mice, and mice loved cheese. He wasn't happy about going. So I assume once he got there... uh, it, it does have a happy ending. He says the story has a happy ending uh, because at the end of the trip, I told anyone who would listen to the plan was when I grew up, I was going to marry Minnie. Uh, this was around the early 90s. So here's the question after that. Uh, they had a radio station that played some of the characters and they spoke on it. Is this true or am I imagining it? If it is, do you guys think you could play a bit of it? So does this connect back to Wayne? Yep. Yes. Direct connection. Perfect. So as we discussed earlier, uh, we have a perfect segue for you, John, uh, with the audio that Wayne recorded off the Alpine head unit. <laughs> that that begs a question. I know we've discussed it at some point in the last couple of years because I recall us talking about the brown signs telling you to tune to radio station X, Y, or Z. Is it still broadcasting? No. we no. Yeah, we, we debunked we, that like a year ago or something, or two years the, ago. We 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 nailed down the year. I feel like yeah. we heard it went off air like ninety nine or something like that. Two thousand. I, I think it was later than that, but I hope was it was it? later than that. Yeah, because you welcome to the Walt Disney World Resort. You know, you tune in and like once you got onto Disney property and there was a like an internal loop 
that oh yeah you guys didn't experience this at the magic kingdom is twelve dollars and the magic and opens at eight a you know like that that was the kind of stuff it told you yeah no this was like i mean it sounded probably really cool when you guys got off the plane and you rode over for five minutes but after 14 hours in the car yeah. pulling a camper mm-hmm. that was like we're peeing yeah. our pants over it, my sister <laughs> and i it was amazing <laughs> So uh, the Magic Kingdom is open till 9 p.m. tonight and smells of cheese. Yeah. <laughs> Minnie is singing. Are emanating from every corner. <laughs> Very cool. Well, good memory, John. Thanks for the story. Uh, thank you to all our emails. We love getting your messages. Podcast at retrowdw.com. Shoot us an email with your uh, experiences related to this. Maybe you can ask us a question from a previous episode if you're one of those binge listeners out there. And uh, Twitter, Instagram, any of those places, you can also get in touch with us. So thanks for all the messages. All right. Well, it's time for this month's Audio Rewind. Um, Brian, I know you knew this one off the top of your head. I did. JT? Can I never? I, I t- By the time I listen to it when we release the episode, I already forget what it was when we record again. <laughs> all right. Well, let's take a listen to last month's Audio Rewind. If you guess the American Adventure, you are correct. Uh, Brian, what was the exact scene? That's uh, when they're rowing out and, and around the Revolutionary yeah. War, I believe. It was right? the, the rowing the boats. Yep. Yep. It's when the Mayflower comes. Yep. There's a land across oh, the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do have a winner this month. Congratulations to Brendan uh, Brendan. Green. Brendan! You know so who Brendan is, Bruce. don't you? That's our buddy yes. that sat with us at Epcot 35. I got from Chicago. Hey. Oh, that's right. Hey, congratulations, oh. Brendan. Yes. Well, look at that. R- randomly pulled. Well, congratulations, Brendan. You will be receiving the Epcot Center wheel brochure. That way you can select your favorite Kodak camera and also figure out what is going on in each of the Epcot pavilions. So, um... We need a prize before we get to this month's Audio Rewind. Does anybody have anything yet? Oh, I, I, ahead, I have a prize this month. Uh, this prize is slightly used, as many of our prizes are, because they are they are older. And when I say it's slightly used, it only means that it is sharpened. Ooh. And and oh. it is one of the souvenirs uh, ubiquitous from the 70s and 80s oh. were giant pencils, yes. big, giant, thick pencils that said Walt Disney World and whatnot on them. And uh, I got a lot of stuff in the last couple of months, and one of those giant pencils was part of that uh, that uh, package load. of things that I got. Yes, part of the load. And uh, I would like to share that with a listener as the prize this month and probably throw in something else. Nice. Too. Excellent. That's a, that's a good one. Do you have the giant eraser that goes with it? Do you remember they have those two? It, the giant eraser is still attached to the top. It's oh, 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 I remember the giant yeah. pink erasers. Like the big, do you remember the ones? For no, big I do, mistakes. I do remember yeah. the, the ones that were like the size of a walkie Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and now we have to explain what a walkie yeah, talkie is. Oh, you kids out there, a walkie talkie was a 1970s iPhone with no touch screen. That's right. And you can only talk to one person. <laughs> and they were yes. usually within eyesight of it. <laughs> but it always sounds like this. <laughs> Are you saying over, over? <laughs> but in every 70s and 80s uh, movie oh. with kids, 
they all talk to each other in their bedrooms with across with town. Across yeah, town, and Back yeah. to the Future. Uh, Marty and Doc were able to speak all the way across Hill Valley with no problem whatsoever. Doc, come in, Doc. This is Marty. Over. Roger, Marty. This is Doc. Are you there? Yeah, Doc. I mean, but it is Doc Brown. You know, he rigged it with plutonium or something <laughs> back then. All right. Well, let's see. You will. You will win the giant retro. Souvenir pencil if you know the answer to this month's audio rewind. All right, send your guesses to podcasts at retrowdw.com. All entries must be received by May 14th, 2018, and we'll pick a random person from all correct entries to win the giant pencil. All right, and also, uh, we always give away every six months. We give a, a prize pot away, and we're coming up in just a few months, uh, actually two, two months away or so from the first prize pot giveaway. Uh, so before we add something to it, uh, JT, want to give the rundown of uh, what's sitting in the, in the big prize pot? So uh, the rundown for the first half of 2018 prize pot, in January we had the Epcot posters. In February we had the retro WDW embroidered hat in the McFarkle Christmas card. In March, the Epcot coin slash medallion. And in April, we had the Air Force One pin. Very nice. So, Br- Brian, you've, you've got something uh, to add into the big prize. I do. I have uh, gently used and loved uh, pendants. Uh, the Walt Disney World, which was the ubiquitous one here in the 80s. Look at that it's one. the red one with the characters dancing. Kind of a metallic and look I, on the logo there. And I have the original Epcot Center oh, one. Oh, wow. So uh, we will award these uh, to the grand prize pot. There we go. As it is. So scribble that down there. Jot that down, JT, on the... I am writing it. All right. And again, if you know the answer to this month's Audio Rewind, send your guesses to podcast at retrowww.com. And for the prize pot, all entries, whether correct or not, will draw one random winner in the June episode. All right, well, it's time for our main topic, and uh, we are going to be taking you back, as we promised, to Hotel Plaza Boulevard, where there's a whole host of hotels and interesting history um, that we're going to go through tonight. And uh, Brian's got majority of the show notes here, so I'm going to hand it off to him and uh, start taking us through that congested area. At least nobody really wants to drive it these days, but uh, it was a lot different back then, wasn't it, Brian? Well... Uh, there's a line in the Muppet movie song, um, moving right along where they, they talk <laughs> about, uh, a welcome sign that, uh, says come back again, you know, on the same sign. And that was essentially that corner of the Disney property was not altogether different at the time. That's right. Uh, so the interesting thing about what is today Hotel Plaza Boulevard and is today home to seven uh, hotels that are not owned by Disney but are located on Disney property uh, is its origins. That road's origins uh, house the very first thing uh, built on Disney property for visiting by the public, and that is the Walt Disney World Preview Center. Uh, one of the four of us actually visited the Walt Disney World Preview Center it's not any of us that are under 49 years old. <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally accurate. Yeah, we were all we were all bor- uh, born after 
it was no longer the preview center except for Howard. Uh, so Howard visited it uh, in its original incarnation. And uh, Todd, I know, has some input on it as well. So I'm not going to do it. Spend a lot of time on the preview center. I'll let you guys kind of take that that portion of it and sure. go from there. So the interesting thing is that tonight we're talking about Hotel Plaza Boulevard and that the original name due to the preview center uh, of that road was actually Preview Boulevard. And it is a place where people would come right off of I-4 there uh, to see you know, and preview what Walt Disney World was uh, and what the construction was all about. It opened in February 1969. And I think um, to describe the architecture, how I got this clip, and I think you'll, you'll, you'll get a kick out of it. It was in, in the Project Florida film. It was described as a handsome information headquarters and reception center. So I mm. guess the handsome part is to the architecture, which was a steel, concrete, uh, unique, square-shaped building. Uh, I don't know. What architecture style would you put it in, How It was, it was kind of a, a very unique... Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know what I would call it, to be honest with you. <laughs> 1960s, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, it was a very mod-looking yeah. building. I mean, it was the, 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 that was the period of time before you got into the full 70s brutalism where... I mean, buildings like that became very functional. Right, right. Uh, you know, there wasn't so much design flourish that the flourish was in roof lines and, and little things like that and not too overly creative on the outside. So it's it's a handsome square building that has, it's alluring because it's got some, an interesting roof line. and yeah. Uh, it, it looks like like maybe there's an indoor pool or something inside, like right? <laughs> For, like yeah, and from above, it almost yeah. looks like a, a chip you'd find on a circuit board. It's just that perfectly square yep. <laughs> chip, so you know, so to speak. So, um, so yes, this was open to the public uh, in in 1969. And um, see so, you now, Todd, was, I have a date of January 10th, 1970. So we'll just have to see. Maybe we'll do a little more. Um, and it's, what's interesting is that uh, here, here the preview center was hosted by a number of young women um, that treated everybody to an idea of what they would expect to see in the fall of 1971. Um, it was the real, I think, piece de resistance of, of, the, of the, the preview center was the model, right? You were ushered into a theater um, where one of these hostesses would introduce uh, what you're about to see. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Walt Disney World Preview Center. We have a moment before our show begins, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the model that you see in front of you. This model represents phase one of Walt Disney World, 2,500 acres of our 27,000 acres. And as this presentation started going forward, uh, the model, which was in front of you, much like what we talked about uh, last month with the Communicore Epcot uh, model that was upstairs in Backstage Magic, uh, different lights would come on and light up different areas uh, of the model. You're going to stay at the Contemporary Resort and everything would be black, but the light would spotlight on this three-dimensional uh, model of the Contemporary. So you saw the lakes, you saw the lagoons, all the different uh, hotels that were planned, including the Venetian and the Polynesian and um, the Persian, everything. Um, and even I, I love the jog in the monorail after it comes out of the Contemporary, you can see. Uh, and there's some fantastic footage of it um, in a film we'll, we'll talk about a little bit. Vacation Kingdom, with attractions and activities designed for the entire family and for an entire vacation. It's a world of water recreation, where you can swim and sail and water ski, or take a romantic cruise for miles across the broad lake and sheltered lagoon. 
It's a world of action where you can play golf on 18-hole championship courses. It's a world to relax in where you can lounge around the colorful pools at each of the resort hotels. And most of all, Walt Disney World is a kingdom where entertainment reigns. The splendor of an Asian palace. Across the waters of the lagoon, a touch of old Venice. The Persian-style resort seems to step right out of the Arabian Nights. But uh, how? what do you remember when you went in there? Do you remember seeing the model? Do you remember? It's, you know, yeah, uh, I mean, so I would have been, so we would have likely went in like March of 19, either March of 1970 or 1971. Okay. So I have fleeting memories, <laughs> you know, if, if they're even real of, uh, just kind of being around the building and then the the room with the model inside and, gotcha. and, and eating the pie. <laughs> uh, in there, what was really neat too is that afterwards they would take you in to, um, after you saw the presentation, they would show you different pieces of artwork. This is our contemporary hotel, which will open in October of 1971. It's our flagship hotel, 10 stories tall and A-framed. So you can see the monorail, which is high-speed train, runs through the lobby of the Contemporary. The lobby is larger than a football field. We'll have many different recreational activities at Walt Disney World, such as swimming, scuba diving, sailing, horseback riding. On our lagoon, you can see water skiing. And again, this is the lobby of our Contemporary Hotel, with the monorail running through. And a lot of the stuff are things that you, uh, you've you seen over the years and things you remember, the, the famous picture of, uh, or rendering of the contemporary with the orange monorail, uh, monorail orange coming out of the front. Um, there's a great one of, uh, I believe there's a, a, a woman parasailing or on a, wave board or something like oh, that yeah 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 that well that one's in there um the famous one of the the side wheeler artwork is, was in there so yep. a lot of these renderings that we saw the castle and everything were were on the wall there and you could uh um you know interact with the with the host there and find out about it yeah apparently and, they um, change that stuff out quite frequently too so if they got to, you know, oh really yeah to, the renderings they'd go put it up on the wall and that's cool yeah. um so the 1971 Project Florida film that we talked about. There's not a good copy of it out there. There's one on YouTube. It comes in three parts. It's very, very hard to see. Uh, but it does have some footage of the preview center and an idea of, of what it looked like. Um, also inside the preview center, there was uh, the ability to take a reservation, put your reservation down, come stay with us in, in, the, in the near future, which was pretty cool. And uh, it was also the location of the first gift shop. So they had your early souvenirs, probably those postcards of the artwork that was on the walls. That's right. Uh, the and some of the little flag that said Florida above. Yes, the, like, that's, right. Yeah. that's right. And apparently th there's different versions of that that don't say Florida, apparently. Mm -hmm. And the green or blue license. Yes, yeah. yes. That was one of the other first. And I have first. Items. I have a green one here. Yeah, yeah. And there, there's the, the blue ones, too. So I think I think. I think mine's blue. Yeah, I have to. That's it. Yeah, we, we we compared them when I got mine. So they're there's green and blue. That's right. So um, now there is a really neat piece of footage out there um, of the preview center. Uh, we scoured this a while back, and um, and it's from the uh, Associated Press archive. And um, I I think it, it was a some sort of home. 
I shouldn't say home movie because the production value in in the edits is actually pretty good with the voiceover. But it's part of a, a series they did called Cape Kennedy Effects of the Space Rundown. Um, it's all about how you know Florida and, and Apollo and all that changed uh, the dynamics of the tourist industry down there and people coming down to Florida. So it's a multi-part. When I say part, you know, each part is maybe three to five minutes. So a multi-part series, so to speak. There's no real dialogue, just ambient music uh, and ambient noise and, and, and people speaking. But there's some fantastic footage uh, inside of the preview center of a hostess speaking uh, and also some fantastic footage of, of the model. It's probably the, the clearest shots that, that you will ever see. Uh, and you can see the lights going on and off, uh, highlighting them. Um, it, it's really a neat little piece of footage. And then the hostess takes you through the artwork uh, that we were just talking about as well. So, um, And they, they really harp on the contemporary resort a couple times that the monorail goes through it, <laughs> making it's, sure that you realize. You know what? It's still a big deal to me today. It is. It is. I mean, how awesome. many How many places have that? So um, it was definitely a really, really neat place to, to go. Now, later on, how that, that started to become after after Disney World opened, it was the... It was, uh, the, became the construction office and the, the sales office for uh, Lake Buena Vista for when they went to sell the townhouses and things. Oh, yeah. So yeah, that yeah. was kind of in between. And just before we get off the preview center, um, I have a note here from Jack Lindquist. So he claims that during the 22 months that the preview center was open... It sold uh, eleven million dollars in Magic Kingdom tickets in advance of it being open. Wow! And they were booking rates, hotel reservations at about three hundred a day. And uh, <laughs> before the hotel opened, uh, before all the hotels opened, that convention space was booked for a year solid, just from foot traffic coming into the preview center. So it really did its that's, job. That, that's amazing. That is that is really really cool that it did that it did that. So then it became the the, the check in right? Is that what you say? It, it became the check in for the village uh, or villas, so, tree houses yeah, so, and things. Um, so the next step was when they uh, when they were going to sell those uh, sell those homes that they built at Lake Buena Vista at, to corporations as being sort of like a like little corporate hideaways. Uh, or getaways for executives and things. It's like they set up their sales office in there. Um, and then eventually when that idea failed, then that's when they turned it into the check-in for the, when those got transformed into hotel rooms, it's like then that became the check-in location for that. Right, right. And I have this very vague recollection, 1980. And I I, I remember seeing, and this didn't pop into my head until this week when we started researching and thinking about this. We, chat, we, we stayed at the Treehouse Villas in 1980, and I remember going into some room in that area, and it could have been there or the Sunbank, I'm not sure where, and staying there with my grandfather and looking at this model under a plexiglass case. And I'm wondering if they, it was not big, like the large one we're talking about, but I'm wondering if it was something that they had that they had there when we were checking in, and I have these vague recollections of... My father going in to pay the telephone bill for checking out of the treehouse, probably like a dollar fifty or something like that for two calls to New Jersey. But I, I just have this vague recollection that there was a model or something in in the, the the lobby in there, going in with him and seeing it. Do you remember what the model was of? No, but you know, I have this 
thought that there were little red and blue cars. There was parking lots. And I swear there was a small little monorail running around the top. So it could have been like Buena Vista. So there is a model from the mid-70s of um, of what sort of became like what was an idea for developing Lake Buena Vista. And there's pictures of it, uh, or at least one photo of it in one of the, I think it's the 1976 annual report, mm-hmm. uh, with the idea being that they would set up wedways um, within Lake Buena Vista that they would have housing uh, over. So I actually had that on our on our show outline for the end. Okay. But since we're talking about <laughs> it now, we'll just go right into it. So the original plans, which were dated in 76, they're in the annual report in 76. Uh, it was for a people mover to bring people from Hotel Plaza Boulevard, which we haven't told you about yet. <laughs> Uh, from those resorts down to the Lake Buena Vista shopping village and what would have been the town, uh, the host community, stopping at the Pottery Chalet is where the is where the stop was going okay. to be. And then the people mover would eventually continue on to the planned office park. And in the office park, which is another thing we'll touch on uh, or we'll touch on now, in 1977, they built the Sun Bank building. Uh, and that was the first in a planned office plaza to complement the Hotel Plaza and the Lake Buena Vista Shopping Village to make up this host community. Uh, it was a five-story, it's still a five-story building uh, with the country's most up-to-date banking system. And the original plans were for the plaza to have 13 buildings on a total of 50 acres. And so when the when the people mover moved on from the Pottery Chalet, it would eventually take you to the office park and there was going to be a multimodal transportation hub. And that was going to be the people mover and taxis and monorails and buses would all link there to city and regional transit transit systems. So that was the original idea. Yeah. So your monorail uh, that then connects over to the Magic Kingdom that we've talked about for years and years. It's like that's where that would have ended up. And then if you would have taken the monorail to the monorail station there, which would have been at the office park and then hopped on the wedway to get down to uh, to get down to the that would have been glorious. <laughs> so that's what I had to have seen. Then that's probably what my recollection. You probably is. saw it, Todd. That's amazing. The preview uh, center did eventually get another change. It became a uh, uh, a post office at one point, and also served as headquarters for the amateur athletic union, which I believe it still is as of today. Is that correct? That is correct. So you can you can visit the parking lot. <laughs> so D- Disney signed an agreement uh, in 1994. It was a 30-year agreement with the Amateur Athletic Union. And the agreement was they get to use the headquarters building, the, the former preview center as their headquarters, and they agree to host a bunch of competitions and events there at the Wide World of Sports Complex uh, and on Disney property, which obviously fills up resorts like the All-Stars. Uh, for Disney, uh, and we're actually beyond, we're 23 years into the agreement. So that agreement actually expires, uh, in 2024. So not that Disney has any use for that little building on hotel Plaza Boulevard. Cause they don't, uh, the only thing that could possibly do with it is knock it down and put another hotel there at some point. I think it needs to house a historical society. That would be a great idea. Wouldn't that be great? Stay tuned. That's right. All right, so there's more on Preview Boulevard that then became Hotel Plaza Boulevard, <laughs> uh, as we alluded to. So, Brian, take us through some of the different things that we had there, and uh, you know all the all the different hotels that popped up. And I know um, 
we should mention too, we've got some photos that popped up recently for some people that we're going to talk about, uh, you know, uh, and we'll post. And we also have some footage from one of our listeners from some of these uh, hotels that we like to get out there as well. But Brian, take it away. Well, uh, Hal and I were talking today actually about the origins of Hotel Plaza Boulevard. And simply put, as you were addressing all of these $11 million worth of tickets that were sold for the Magic Kingdom and the heavy convention booking and the people that were all anticipating coming to the parks. Uh, Disney, as you know, had two resorts uh, online for opening day, which were the Polynesian and the Contemporary, with the uh, Fort Wilderness being hastily put together with campsites at that point. There was no trading posts. There was no cabins on site or anything like that that came later. Uh, and there was the golf courses were there, but the golf resort didn't exist yet. The golf resort didn't open for two more years. So Disney knew early on in their planning with their projections that they did not have nearly enough hotel space, even out on International Drive. Uh, you know, there, there were there were a handful of hotels out there and obviously people buying up land and building them. Uh, but there was nothing really there to handle the anticipated crowds. Uh, so Disney made the decision uh, early on, like 1965, that that was a part of the original plan, that they would take a small piece down by what was the planned host community. And uh, the hotels were the first thing that were going to be built, uh, that they were not going to build them themselves. They would lease the the land to uh, hotel, you know, hoteliers, uh, and famous ones and rich ones. And, you know, people that knew how to do this for a living, uh, to complement Disney's own resorts. And so it initially started with four. Were there any details before I get into the four, how that I missed? No, I, I think you're spot on. I mean, supposedly Walt kind of handpicked that section to put things in. Cause that was the Northern entrance into the area. Um, and then I think that's probably and the only other comment I would make is that, uh, you know, if you think about the Disneyland problem with all of the the hotels popping up outside of it, this is a really nice solution for them because it lets them control, you know, what those hotels look like. They're not crazy. Um, if if you look back at the old pictures, you'll see it's it's very structured. It's like all of the signs for all the hotels are exactly the same size. They're low to the ground. Uh, it's it's a and the landscaping through that whole area is very picturesque. So it was a complete reaction to what was going on on Harbor Boulevard to try to to try to, you know, make it not like crazy Wild West and just look beautiful. Right. And and so the 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 origins of it also have their basis in both Walt and Roy's experience. And in Walt's experience, he had the Rather family come in, build a Disneyland Hotel and operate that at Disneyland. And Walt knew if Walt had 50 other acres, he could have leased them to 50 other hotel people to come in and they would have thrown cash at him to build hotels near Disneyland. So uh, he was taking some of his experience now, having been operating Disneyland for 10 years. Uh, so it's interesting to note that Hotel Plaza Boulevard's original layout uh, really stems from Walt and Walt's original plans. And so... Uh, it's one of the few things at Disney World that you wouldn't think uh, really has their origins with Walt, but it does. Uh, the second piece of it is Roy's experience and Roy knowing that from a capital standpoint, they, they were not going to have the cash 
to do all of these things. And this was a way to solve uh, an early problem using other people's money. Uh, and actually what they did was they paid Disney to build the hotel there. Uh, so it worked out well for, for them as well. And so uh, they initially opened a year after the parks opened, uh, the four uh, original Hotel Plaza Boulevard hotels opened. Uh, and I, they're not going to be completely in order because I will tell you off the bat that there are disputed dates. I mean, the more you research this stuff, the more you see disputed dates of a few months as to when each one of these places actually opened the vast basically everything is October and November of 72 with the exception being Howard Johnson's which is February of 73 so let's start with the Travelodge uh, the Travelodge I think what I'm going to do is hop ahead and tell you what they are today before we talk about them <laughs> yeah. when they open so you know what we're talking about. So Maybe we can drop today, a handy little map, too. We'll have to... Uh, yeah, yeah that, that'll, that'll accompany the episode yeah. show notes. But today, the best Western Lake Buena Vista uh, is operating uh, that was originally opened in November of 72 is the Travelodge. It was rebranded as a Viscount uh, in 1984 to 1989, and that was a hotel brand that Travelodge actually owned. It was like a higher end uh, name plate that they were trying to put on some of their places. Uh, and then in 1989, it reverted back to Travelodge. Just this past August, uh, it was sold to Drury Hotels. Uh, Drury is a St. Louis-based company uh, that is known for operating uh, nicer hotels in general. They own one other Orlando area hotel. It's the Drury Inn and Suites near or uh, near Universal. So if any of you have ever stayed there or in a Drury hotel, uh, but I will ask this question: Have any of you ever stayed at the Travelodge slash Best Western? I have not. I I did actually. I stayed there when we did our Epcot thirty five. Oh, that's right. Yes, Just a did. few months ago. Yeah. That's right. Yes. Oh wow. And I and I think I had stayed there previously too, like maybe five or six years before that i've i've stayed a little bit on hotel plaza boulevard so and we didn't get forget to stay in the big ones but i have <laughs> i've stayed in the little ones now opening uh if any, nobody else has anything on that one uh and by the way if any of you listening have a memory or something to add on one of these resorts uh please let us know it's not just going to be a recitation we do have some stuff to add to some of them but if you stayed there and you remember some kind of a notable restaurant or some kind of a notable shop or thing, all of these hotels uh, tried to, uh, you know, cater to travelers with high-end amenities and had really interesting dining establishments and salons and barbershops and things like that. And so when we get to a few of the ones we have a little more information on, we'll touch on that. Yeah, I'll, you know, I can throw uh, a couple of things in here. So... um and actually, to your point, Brian, when um, Disney made the deals with all of these hotel companies, they really encouraged them to build flagship hotels uh, for each one of them. And in fact, they even told them to take money out of their marketing budgets for nationwide and to plow them into the hotel. So that way they could actually use the hotels in promotions. You know, so if they were going to film television commercials or take pictures of like, oh, here's what a travel lodge looks like. It's like that would be the one at Disney that they would use as their like. The shining example of what a travel lodge could look like um, um but um the one thing that was really cool about the travel lodge which partially is not there anymore is if you look at old postcards it had these 
really interesting looking sort of saucer shaped uh, portage chair uh, when you yes. pulled up. Um, and the way that the the restaurant, which is on the the bottom floor, is configured, it sort of follows that same circular shape. Uh, and there's still a few of those uh, those saucer shaped things out in the back. Um, yes. So you can you can see those. They've taken the ones over when you when you pull your car in, but um, that feature does still part of it still does exist to the side of it. Very much a very '60s mod design. Like you can tell that because it was one of the earliest hotels that was designed, and you can tell it was like straight out of 1966. Yeah. Um, Another really kind of weird, interesting thing about it is, I guess, so it's made out of like a a reinforced. mortar you know so it, it's basically like cement mm-hmm. block with rebar in it now um one of the one of the cool things about the epcot building codes is that they were always trying to do new innovative things there and apparently uh in the rest of the united states with that construction technique you're only allowed to build uh 12 floors so you could only have a 12-story building with that but disney engineers came up with the idea of using epoxy to hold the cement block together instead of uh, just regular masonry cement, whatever they would normally use. Mm -hmm. So because of that, um, they were able to build that to be 16 stories tall. And it was the largest building of that style of construction in the United States for quite some time. So it it apparently works because 40 plus years (laughs) later, it's still there. It hasn't fallen down yet. Um, The actual first resort that was opened there on Hotel Plaza Boulevard was the uh, Dutch Inn. It was Americana's Dutch Inn. Uh, Today, you would know it as the Wyndham Lake Buena Vista. It has had a few other names. It was for a brief time, September 2007 until November 2010, it was the Regal Sun Resort. But for the longest time, most people remember it as the Grovesner. And I actually stayed there. Uh, That was the first Hotel Plaza Boulevard resort that I stayed at. Uh, in 1986, uh, after 15 years as the Dutch Inn and then Americana's Dutch Inn, uh, it was the Grovesner, which was a British-themed uh, hotel. And that's an interesting setup because when you see all the postcards and pictures of it, it's a large central building that's 10 or 12 stories high, maybe a little taller, up on a hill. And so and the brochure has all these pictures of this beautiful lobby and uh, a dining room uh, that had a Sherlock Holmes murder mystery in it. And it had a character breakfast there a couple days a week. Uh, you know, it was really nice. So I go to check in having booked this thing through a travel agent. Um, you can look up what those are, kids. And we, <laughs> we, we use the travel agent and I get there and they you know, give me my key and tell me I'm outside and like to the right. And so really what it had was it did have the big central tower with rooms in the central tower. But like a lot of these resorts uh, back then, uh, they'd had a two or three story kind of motel around the outside of it that were additional rooms for it. And they're still there. So they're, if you ever price out what is today, the, what do they say it's called now? The Wyndham Lake Buena Vista. Um <clears throat> you'll always notice those are the cheapest rooms and they'll call them like garden view or something. Like yeah. That. I think those, that's what they do those are the, basically the motel rooms on the <laughs> outer side. And there are three or four of these hotels down there that have rooms like that, that aren't just the central town. Well, two or three of them. Anybody stay there? I did actually a couple of times. Um, I stayed there when it was the regal sun. 
Uh, and that mm-hmm. was actually uh, when those guys got it, they were the ones that finally redid like all the outdoor pools and things. Yes. Because when it was the Dutch Inn, it had a windmill-shaped swimming pool back there. Oh. Yes. Which, I guess that was the Dutch Inn's whole... They started out as a, as a smaller company uh, that had a bunch of... Uh, like They actually had stuff around your uh, area in Pennsylvania uh, as a tie-in to the Pennsylvania Dutch. And they had sort of these windmills outside. They had a bunch of smaller motels. And then at some point in the late 60s, early 70s, they got super corporate. And they started building, you know, like just very modern buildings in like Dallas and Atlanta and they got very aggressive with building huge hotels. So something shifted within the company. And, and, yeah, and there was a heavy Dutch theming. So the restaurants all served Dutch specialties and the artwork was all <laughs> Dutch stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was permeated. In fact, there's a there's a, re- a menu we have. Uh, I don't know if we've added it to our archive yet, but someone was selling it for like a ridiculous amount of money. Like, uh, But it was for their, for their flagship restaurant there. And, you know, it was things like braised something or like, you know, you're just you're reading the you're reading the special dishes like like heavy head, like in the, you're figuring in the night, like 90 degree Florida yeah. heat and they're like these heavy veal roasts and stuff. And you're like, Who, who's eating Yum. this? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah it was, oh, and I, you know, and I guess what is weird is even though they were it's sort of around the Pennsylvania. Yes, I do realize listeners, Pennsylvania Dutch is actually German. It's not Dutch. And this really was Dutch. And for some reason, it was just in that tourist area, Pennsylvania as well. So, yeah. So today it is the Wyndham Lake Buenavis. And I do remember when the Regal Sun took it over that the, the whole pool area that they redid. I mean, they were going for like, a, I, I don't, what do I want to call it? Like an island or a yeah, beach field I, yep. kind of back there. It's it's really uh, it, it's it's this big, extensive uh, pool complex back there now and it replaced a very dated looking <laughs> looking pool so that is the Grovesner uh, Howard Johnson's is worth uh, a lot of mentions one because the Howard Johnson's uh, hotel and restaurant brands uh, there's a great interest in the history of Howard Johnson's locations outside of you know just Disney World but in general uh, there's a whole Howard Johnson's fandom out there uh, from, Hojo. from people, yeah, from people over the years that remember, you know, driving out for ice cream on a Sunday with their parents uh, to the restaurants because they were famous for their ice cream. The fried clam strips, can't forget those. <laughs> the fried clam strips, absolutely. Yeah, it's, I just remember the <laughs> giant <laughs> orange roofs. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The the A-frame building and yeah. So that was the last of the original four that opened, um, and. Howard Johnson's was the first company to approach Disney. As soon as they announced Walt Disney World, uh, Hojo announced, uh, approached Disney and said, we want in. The initial plans, uh, in keeping with the futuristic thinking, they wanted four rectangular wings that enclosed a landscaped courtyard. In the end, they just built a kind of a standard four-sided tower. Uh, and then in 1978, in 1978, they added a 108-room additional building, which is still there. And uh, the Hojo restaurant was on site. And Howard Johnson's, uh, for those of you, in fact, most of you who are younger probably won't remember them. Uh, they were uh, like along the lines of maybe a little bit nicer Denny's or Perkins or something like that. Yeah, they were, yeah, a, a, you know, a casual American chain. 
Uh, but they were most famous because they manufactured their own ice cream that was super premium before that was really a thing. So if you think Ben and Jerry's today, uh, Howard Johnson sold uh, ice cream that I want to say was 4% butterfat, which is what Ben and Jerry's is now, uh, which was not a common thing. They always had a, a big board with all the flavors on. They had the long uh, counter. You could have your banana split at the counter if you chose. Right. There was always a lounge so, in the background, to, in the back. Remember those? There was a cock- cocktail, cocktail lounge, lounge yeah. that uh, was always attached to them. And, and really, it was one of the first, uh, them and the hot shops, which was operated by the Marriott family, were the first two big chains around the country uh, for travelers. And the whole idea was that you, you know, no matter what, town you were traveling in when you saw one of their restaurants you knew you were going to get a clean place to eat and and a consistent menu and a nobody was going to fleece you and uh that you know it's the, i mean that's the same thing with holiday inn and the, and the development you know of the hotel industry because prior to these chains developing you were it was really a gamble and so you'd roll into town and you'd eat at the local coffee shop or at the local restaurant or something. And, you know, a lot of places they, they targeted tourists and you could end up getting scammed or robbed or, you know, there was a lot of problem with crime and hotel rooms and people sneaking in in the middle of the night and stealing your money while you were sleeping and things like that used to happen. So that's kind of what led to those chains developing. And Howard Johnson's was really the, the eminent chain, I think, in terms of, those types of coffee shop restaurants around the country. Absolutely. Um, there was a very famous one too, Brian, down, down uh, your, well, well, Asbury Park had a very famous yes. uh, round Howard Johnson. It's not the typical uh, triangle uh, looking, uh, looking place, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Are there any original Hojo's still out there? So, so there's there, the la- last I, I looked, there's one still operating Howard Johnson's restaurant uh, at Lake George in new york okay. state mm. and, i wonder uh, if it looks I had like actually the looked i had actually looked at traveling to visit it and uh the website last time i looked they couldn't tell you whether it was operating right now or not so i was uh-huh. I'm not going to make a trip for a restaurant i wasn't sure it was operating but anyway so brian there, there was one other food item that they were known for you could also find it in your grocer's freezer do you remember that macaroni and cheese Oh, that's oh. right. You remember the macaroni and cheese you could buy? It's your it was Hojo Mac Hojo's and Cheese. Hojo's Mac and Cheese, yeah. I got a, got a picture of it here. In fact, this one, uh, this is a later one. Um, I love what this one says. It says, now with microwave cooking directions. I, I, and I neglected to follow our, our thing here. We've told you all about the Howard Johnsons. Just so you know what we're talking about, it's today the Holiday Inn. So That's beautiful. It's currently, we're talking about what is currently the Holiday Inn. So it it, uh, it it the building has largely stayed the same uh, since they built it. Um, the restaurant operated until the early 1990s, and they finally closed the Hojo restaurant that was there. Uh, and Howard Johnson Hotels, uh, in its original incarnation, dissolved in 1985. Disney operated the site through a subsidiary until they sold it to Marriott Host in 1994. And it operated as a courtyard by Marriott until 2003 when it became the Holiday Inn, which is what it is today. Uh, so that Howard Johnson's is still there uh, as the Holiday Inn. And you can go and visit it and ask them if they have ice cream and clam strips. And they'll look at you and say, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But if you'd like to go down an interesting rabbit hole, That's right. go ahead down the Googles and check out uh, Howard Johnson's restaurant history and 
you can read all their old menus and how fascinating it and is. And don't forget to look for the original Pie Man restaurant sign, too, from the 1960s. That, that's it. Yep. Yeah, the original Pie Man. Yep. The the last of the original hotels we're going to talk about opened in October of 71. And this one, there's a lot of exciting stuff for Howe and I to share with you. And that is the, it was originally the Royal Inn, uh, which became for the longest time the Hotel Royal Plaza. Uh, today, it is the B Resort. It's a boutique resort called the B Resort. Uh, and that opened in 2014. It was purchased by a Miami hotelier who completely kind of gutted it and redid it. Uh, and so now it's very chic and it's tall. It's, a little, it's that it, tall one. I sit off the highway. It, 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 it's tall and it's got a glass. Ele- it's got a glass elevator on the outside of it that when you get in the elevator that you're actually in the, you're looking at the exterior of the building that looks right down on the preview center. Uh, oh. So you get some great photographs of the preview center by riding the glass elevator in, in this resort. But uh, it was, one of the nicest resorts, uh, it, and then we're going to talk about the Buena Vista Palace next, but really the Hotel Royal Plaza and the Buena Vista Palace were probably the two most notable resorts on, on Hotel Plaza Boulevard. And of the original four, the, the, the Royal Plaza, the Royal Inn was probably the, the chicest of them, the, the, the froofiest of them, um, uh, where the, where the wealthy folk might stay. Uh, if they had to pick one of the four resorts, it was really nice. Uh, and then after operating as a nice resort for 15 years, uh, for, for the first 10 years or so, it got kind of kicked, they kicked it up to 11, uh, in 1983. Here we and, go. That's and here the year right there, man. That is the year. And, uh, JT, can you guess what happened in 1983? I was born. <laughs> you, you, you were born. It's the JT was born hotel. The J, they they literally decided to honor yes. that because yes. Some people came. What out month did this born. happen? That's that's when we we'll really and and the way they chose to honor it was uh, they took that was a seventeen story hotel. It's still a seventeen story hotel. I shouldn't speak about it in the past tense. Uh, they didn't lose any floors in the interim. Uh, but in nineteen eighty three, uh, they signed an agreement with uh, a frequent guest there named Michael Jackson who, oh. was, who was absolutely at the peak of his thriller popularity and fame and if you were I can't even imagine a modern equivalent to explain to younger people today how completely insane his fame was from around 1982 until 86 or so 87 like not in the music industry no no not not maybe somebody like athlete maybe but like it's different i think one direction mid now no not even close so brief everybody listened that this the 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 thriller isn't thriller still the biggest selling album of all time i think it is it's definitely up there there. and 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 you know it, it just it's impossible to explain like wherever this guy went people just lost their stuff like they freaked men women children like he, you know he did the moonwalk on stage and everybody's like oh my god he's like superhuman <laughs> uh, and then i'll put a plug in for the thriller album itself totally off top. there's like every song is good on it it's, it's like and they're all like like good every, songs you yeah, know every song was like a top 10 top, yeah no a number one hit i mean yeah like, like if were, you know a michael jackson song it's probably from the thriller album so right. that's it's and then, just insane and then he made the first real 
music video that like so so here they make the thriller music video uh and they sell it it, you know, nobody sold videotapes back then. Like, you didn't buy tapes to watch at home. They sell it. I don't remember if it was $19.99 or $29.99. And everybody bought a copy. Like, <laughs> every, everybody, the year they put that out on video, everybody bought a copy. Oh, yeah. And, John and Landis just, directed it. John Landis directed mm-hmm. it. And you just watched it over and over and over again. Which is why today everybody knows all the dance moves from the thriller video. Like you just <laughs> and, then, and then you're talking this was 83 this was also when did captain eo come out 86 yeah okay so it was right still so, in the so so in this insane fame uh michael jackson uh, who lived in california and loved disneyland fell in love with walt disney world resort and uh, as one of the wealthiest entertainers in the world at that point, he frequently would come here and visit it and bring kids with him and bring little famous kids with him like Macaulay Culkin and Emmanuel Lewis, who was Webster at the time. Um, and these guys, you know, like people would be, I have pictures of them, like just on in, in an Aqualark on Bay Lake. Like just, <laughs> it's just Michael Jackson and, and Webster riding around. Oh, really? I've never <laughs> yeah. seen that one. Yeah. So, so. Anyway, he signs an agreement with the Hotel Royal Plaza where he had been frequently staying when he came to town. So there's there's a story that he wanted to stay in the contemporary and it was full. <laughs> and it was full. That's exactly what? what he came unannounced. I have I have some of that. Okay. In the notes, but uh, yeah, so so he he came into town the one night and wanted to stay at the contemporary and they said, Oh, we're you know, we're we're all booked up. But I'm the Michael ho- Jackson. <laughs> but the Hotel Royal Plaza could take him. So they treated him so well, he kept coming back and he became such a frequent visitor that they decided to pitch an idea to him that they would design this suite. He would design it with them, uh, fill it up with memorabilia and things that he wanted, design it to his specifications. And then whenever he came to town, he would get to stay there. Uh, and as long as when he wasn't there, they were allowed to rent out the Michael Jackson suite. And so they did, in fact, build the Michael Jackson suite. The uh, hotel general manager at the time uh, was interviewed a couple of times, and he talked about, his name was Phil Wright, and he talked about the the room. Uh, There were twinkling lights in the ceiling. They had a trophy case where Michael would send. So he had a bunch of replicas of his gold and platinum albums, but he, he won so many Grammys yeah, he started gonna... he started sending them to the Hotel Royal Plaza to have them put in this display case in the room. It's like what's his take this one? I don't even care. Yeah. This is from the bad album. Just <laughs> He 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 also loaded the room with Marilyn Monroe collectibles and it had this state of the art laser disc player that was equipped with lights that uh that sparkled to the beat like a music so laser put disc. music on there. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, and by the way, uh, Phil Wright also remembers that Michael used to bring his pet chimp Bubbles, and Bubbles, Bubbles liked to, came. Bubbles liked to flush the toilet because he liked to hear it gurgle. Uh, <laughs> Come on, Bubbles. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're going to link to a, um, a a fabulous blog uh, by MJ Fangirl. And she actually did a nice article on the suite that has a lot of pictures of it. Um and she she's she's pretty extensive with it but he was not the only one to have a suite at the hotel royal plaza so as i said michael jackson's was on the 16th floor but that's only because bob hope's suite was on the 17th floor 
Oh. And so Bob Hope had what was really a true penthouse suite up there, uh, whereas Michael's was just kind of like uh, a couple of rooms that they kind of pulled together. Which, by the way, when they when when he started winning those awards and they built that display case, they actually had to blow through a wall and <laughs> add to the room to add the trophy display case because they didn't great have room problem for to it. have. Yeah. So Bob Hope had the 17th floor, which is the top floor of the of the uh, resort. And his had a lavender tub and sparkling chandelier and five balconies that overlooked the Florida interstate. And one day, two young girls went up and knocked the, the door looking for Michael Jackson. And in typical Bob Hope style, he told a Bob Hope joke. They said, you're not Michael Jackson. He says, no, I'm not even the right color. I'm Bob Hope. And the girls looked at him and said, who's that? And so he just closed the door. They didn't know who Bob Hope was. He went back to chipping golf balls at the whatchamacallit. <laughs> Making contemporary jokes. Yeah. But her, uh, so her website, which will, will her, this article that she wrote that we'll link to has uh, like photos. Uh, Michael would like sign autographs on Hotel uh, Royal Plaza, um, postcards and stuff like that. He was very gracious to guests when he saw them. So JT, and, what do you think a room like that would run you a night to stay in the Michael Jackson suite? Well, $1983. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, I, I recently noticed, and you guys, this is hotel related. Did you see in DC you can stay in the Watergate, like the, the room, the the, the yes. conspiracy uh, room or whatever? Yes. And that's like, it's like the room where they broke in. They have like memorabilia up. It's decked out in 60s decor. And I was like, that'd be so cool, you know, just go stay there. That's where it happened. That's like twenty five hundred, three grand a night. I saw in today's money. So to stay, and it's kind of like a mild suite. I don't think it's that big, but to stay in Michael Jackson's room in like what we'll say late eighties, uh, I'd have to know what a contemporary room cost them. Weren't they like probably like one fifty a night, two hundred a night for contemporary back then? Low, low ones, low to mid ones, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna go on a limb, two fifty, three hundred a night. Very good. You actually nailed it. So when it first opened up, if you in 1983, when it opened, if you rented just one bedroom of the suite, it was $250. If you rented two rooms, it was 375 And then as time went on, it's like the price went up and up. And like the when they blew out the wall, I guess, then you could get like uh, in 1986 or 1987, you could get like three bedrooms for $700. So nice job. you You totally nailed it. Uh, pretty close. Yeah, the uh, I wonder if anybody like... Have anybody ever been interviewed that actually stayed there? Well, we'll put the call out here to people. Yeah, because that'd be an uh, interesting little Q&A. Like, what, I mean, was there anything special? Or was it like, did you have to call and say, I want the Michael Jackson room? Yeah, yeah, that's how you would book it. Yeah. You know. But then, like, how did you know about that in that era? There's no internet to talk about that. Like, oh, well, they publicized the heck out of it. I mean, you can can pull up up articles from the Orlando Sentinel right now from that time period where every time they added something it's like oh that guy milked that the the, okay, the manager of the it. hotel he yeah he he got all the publicity out of that that he possibly that was the entire reason he did it is to get publicity that's such a fascinating thing for me even at disney in general like those those rooms that aren't normal like the suites at the contemporary just weird ones you know that like you don't see very much and people don't really talk about the especially the michael jackson room that's interesting yeah or the higher end travel agents would know about that stuff, you know, so that way they can make those yeah. recommendations. Now, I, so I was in high school during this period of time, and one of my classmates 
Carrie Howard, if you're out there listening, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to name check you right now. I, rem- I awesome. remember we were sitting in biology class one day and she told us that she was actually, they were at the hotel and they saw Michael Jackson there. And it was just after the Pepsi commercial. And she, she kind of told us that there was something weird about his face and his yeah, hair, the fire. but they couldn't, she couldn't really, didn't really know what it was. She couldn't quite put her finger on it. And I guess that's when we found out later on that maybe he had like a fake nose that he would wear. So we got a little bit of an insight on that in the 1980s, thanks to her. So, so, so how a friend of mine from Astoria, Oregon, back in 1985, Michael Jackson stopped by his house to use the bathroom. <laughs> my friend, my friend Chunk. <laughs> okay, Brand. Michael Jackson didn't come over to my house. He's a bathroom. But his sister did. <laughs> so my last, my last uh, uh, Michael Jackson sweet story is that he loved Marilyn Monroe so much. You know, he had this whole thing in there, and he had a, like a lucite box with a paper sculpture of her in the room, and all kinds of other Marilyn Monroe uh, material. Supposedly, according to her blog, Michael once stayed an extra week at the hotel just to watch a Marilyn Monroe film festival that was on a local television station there. So. Wow, that which took sounds a whole like week? a very Mike, Michael Jackson thing to do. Yeah, I mean, do what you want. You're Michael Jackson. Right. Um, that's interesting. Now, what is that room's obviously gone. What? When did it last till? Did you say that already? I don't. Unless I missed it. We, we did not because that data isn't out there. But my guess would be uh, all of the scandal and everything yeah. with Michael broke in the early nineties, uh, like <laughs> 90, 92, 93. I, uh, there has to be somebody out there sitting there. They were they were in the room eating a bowl of cereal and the news broke and they're sitting there in the Michael Jackson suite, like mid bite of cornflakes, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I gotta get out of here. <laughs> Yeah, so so I I think it went I think it went away because uh, Michael's brand was damaged for a while there, uh, you know he. So where so where did all that stuff go? I guess it must have. Well, that back, that right? would all have been returned to yeah. him. I mean, that all would have been shipped back to him, and then of course he would have put it in hawk so he continued to buy one hundred and fifty thousand dollars statues and sit up in a tree. Yeah, I mean we should see if we can stay in the Bob Hope suite though. Maybe that's still a thing. Well, the the <laughs> the. The rooms are still there. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So there's my other call out to the listeners, other than the guy that was sitting there when the scandal broke. Uh, what's the room number now of the Michael Jackson suite? Like, what is it currently? So if you wanted to go even knock on the door and, you know, or not knock on the door, but you know what I mean, go look at the door and touch the handle or something. I'm sure the B Resort is always, like, dying for people to stay there. So if you wanted to track it down and ask them, they would probably rent us all of the rooms if we wanted. Maybe, yeah, we could yeah. get a, a night stay there. We can do it. We can do a, uh, in Marilyn in, Monroe. Film. Yeah. We'll, we'll Monroe. Do a, <laughs> I do. You know, I have to say, I do, I do like the B resort. We ended up staying there several times, uh, for Disney marathon events and it's great. It's like, it's relatively inexpensive. They have these giant, like, um, like spa bathtubs, so that was great for like mm-hmm. post marathon stuff. It was they they had those yeah, there when I get it was the Royal Plaza. Oh, did they? Okay, they the, yeah, those those are original to the Royal Plaza because when I stay I stayed there right before it it transitioned from the Royal Plaza, uh, like within a year before it transitioned. And I remember saying how I, how how nice I thought the rooms were and how nice I thought the hotel. They were was so big. I mean, they're the rooms are huge. Yeah. So those those are the four original resorts and and on Hotel Plaza Boulevard, which was originally Motor Plaza, 
Yes, they called it the Motor Plaza Inn. That was how the yes. entire thing was sort of was known was branded. for its first few years. Yeah, until they changed it to Hotel Plaza Boulevard. Uh, and then those operated well. And as I told you, they expanded the Howard Johnson's in 1978. Uh, but Disney was still expanding. They were building Epcot. So it was time to add some more hotels to the Plaza Boulevard at that point. And so in 1983, they added two additional hotels, keeping in track with, they opened the first four a year after Magic Kingdom opened. Here they opened these two uh, a year after Epcot opened. Uh, actually, a few months after Epcot opened, the, the Buena Vista Palace opened March of 83. And we love to talk about the Buena Vista Palace for a lot of reasons. Um, the There's a couple of, interesting things about it but you should know that right now i i gotta run through the names because it was the buena vista palace then it wasn't then it was again yeah (laughs) and and uh so it was the buena vista palace when it opened in 83 uh in 1998 it became the wyndham palace resort and spa in 2005 it became the buena vista palace again uh they, they, they dropped the wyndham name and in 2015 it was sold to hilton and Hilton decided what they would do is do a major massive renovation to the property and turn it into their flagship resort uh, in Disney. Now, Hilton owns two others. We're going to talk about them both because they're the last two that were built there. Uh, the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista, which is still there today, uh, that opened in 83. And the Pickett Suites Resort opened in 87. It was purchased then in 89 by Guest Quarters. Uh, operated that until 93 guest quarters was acquired by Doubletree, which is owned by Hilton. So since 1993, it's been the Doubletree all suites resort. Uh, there's the Hilton Lake Buena Vista and the Buena Vista palace, which is now the Hilton Buena Vista palace. And just became that in the last year after they finished the big, uh, rebrand and, and, uh, turned it into their flagship. So, I think it's not a stretch to say that it is the most luxurious of the Hotel Plaza Boulevard resorts. Uh, It was built, as I said, kind of after all the original four. So it was a bit of a different time. We were moving into uh, a different kind of hotel and what people expected from them. Uh, The big thing, I think, and how I know has a lot to add to this in the 80s and 90s, but especially the 80s, uh, the hotel, the restaurants and nightclubs in this resort were uh, legendary with casts and with guests. Uh, I have a 1987. I have a full set of stuff from people who stayed there, and they would hand out like the week's calendar of what was going on in each restaurant and nightclub each night uh, on the back of a sheet that listed all of the various places. And then the newsletter, the Palace Press, uh, aside from a note from the general manager uh, and a tiny little blurb on the back about attractions at the Magic Kingdom and the 15th anniversary going on, literally the whole rest of this four-page newsletter is about the dining and entertainment going on at the at the uh, Buena Vista Palace. They had, um, let me see how many restaurants it was. One, two, three, four uh, sit-down restaurants, and then three lounges, uh, uh, the pool snack bar, and other, um, um, like a courtyard pizza shop and some other stuff there. 
We're going to talk about some of them. Uh, the first one I want to mention is Arthur's 27. So when it when it opened, uh, I always say that it's still 27 <laughs> stories, but when it opened, it was 27 <laughs> stories as well. Uh, so Arthur's 27 refers to the fact that it was up on the 27th floor. And they build it as the most elegant dining experience in Central Florida. So it was, uh, it was, it won Golden Spoon Awards, uh, four course dining every night. It was, uh, you know, high end French and continental cuisine. Um, the, in fact, the newsletter has recipes for the pate of pheasant and cold mango soup that is served at at, uh, at Arthur's Twenty Seven. Like good. it was the. Fa- yeah, it was the fanciest of the schmancy. Every so often, I get a hankering for pheasants, so now I'll have a good recipe to make. <laughs> to yeah, make you know, the, to, to just get some pate of pheasant pate, there, some, uh, some mango. <laughs> there, there was also a lounge uh, at the top of the palace that obviously was attached to um, Arthur's Twenty Seven, like on the other side, and uh, that was open from nine to one every night, um, Friday and Saturday nights, nine to one. And they would have uh, dancing and, uh, you know, you had an aerial view of Disney World Epcot and uh, and they would give you a a complimentary glass of champagne and you could disco dance the night away up there to the sounds of Corey Hart or uh, Paula Abdul uh, or any of the (laughs) the other big dance uh, numbers of the time. So that was going on at the top of the Palace Lounge by Arthur's 27. Um, the Watercress Cafe and Bake Shop was like their coffee shop, but and here's something that is missing from a lot of Disney resorts. 24 hours. Mm. The, the Bake Shop portion of it was open 24 hours a day, so there was always like you could get a sandwich or you could get a pastry or something like that. If you had a hankering at 3.30 in the morning for a liverwurst and onion sandwich, you could probably go down there and get it. <laughs> Um, they had the Outback restaurant before there was Outback Steakhouse they had an Australian themed um, steak and chop restaurant there uh, that had a multi-level indoor waterfall and an open pit I think that was what they cooked in not like that they threw kids in (laughs) Uh, delicious food and impeccable service located on the first level of the hotel with a third level entrance Reservations were suggested for And that. I have seen some pictures of like elaborate rock rock work with like a yes. what appears to be an audio animatronic crocodile in the water there. Huh. Yes. So I mean, I don't know how Outback that we know of now managed to get started when there was already an Outback there. <laughs> which I mean basically was the same gimmick. So Right. Uh, it's incredible. Well, they must have trademarked yep. it. But uh, they they also did a character breakfast buffet every Sunday in the Watercrest Cafe with the Disney characters, which was be this is 1987 by the way that I'm going through this one. Um, so those were the restaurants, uh, but we're, we're we're skirting around to the, well, the lobby lounge. Obviously, there was a every every one of those hotels had a some kind of a lobby bar, uh, so that when you came in right after you checked in, you could go over and start lubricating yourself. But the one we've been waiting for here because. You know, it was legendary back in Howard's youth. Yes. Uh, is the Laughing Kookaburra, a good time bar. Yeah. <laughs> Which ties into the Outback, too. I mean, there again, there's that Australia theme yeah. carried through. Yes. But yeah, I can recall listening to the local radio station in Orlando, and they must have done ads for the Laughing Kookaburra. Like, oh my God, every hour. I mean, it was constant. 
a deluge, if you will. So the Laughing Kookaburra, they would have live entertainment in there. So they would bring in live bands um, and singing acts and things like that. Um, exotic drinks and 99 international beers on hand. And it is the place to be for nighttime fun and excitement and glass elevator access from the lobby level. So, And, and as you said, we, we had heard stories of multiple cast members that that was the hot spot to go to in the 80s. Yeah, before Pleasure Island opened, uh, it was the place where cast members drank back then uh, after their shifts. And, and it was open late because um, and, and literally their, their, their times, it was too closing. Like they didn't have a closing time. <laughs> it was like we were open five to closing. <laughs> and, and closing was just when I guess the last guy didn't have any more money left. Um, but... It, that was a complete resort tennis courts uh all of them have pools uh that pool complex uh is and was a little more extensive uh they had a salon inside that resort uh jogging trails all kinds of stuff that was going on there uh and a famous palace macadamia nut chocolate chip cookie uh, that was sold in the watercress bake shop and uh you could call and have them ship them to you if you were so inclined so it's uh it is a gorgeous resort it still is which is why hilton bought it and decided to turn it into its flagship resort there on hotel plaza boulevard uh so hilton just needs to buy one more resort there and then they will own a majority of the hotel (laughs) plaza boulevard and then like my one other personal aside is uh my one of my best friends in high school, Tony Belante, his dad was a chef at the uh, Hotel Royal Plaza. So I remember he had a oh. sticker, you know, that would let you park in the parking lot on the back of his car. And I would see that all the time. And then he would also come home just, you know, like dog ass tired after a full shift. In his there. Uh, chef whites. Yeah. I, I should mention one thing because we kind of glossed over the what is today the Doubletree and the other one, the Hilton Orlando Lake Buena Vista the Hilton Orlando, which is the original Hilton there, uh, was actually is actually owned by Tishman, and it is operated by Hilton. So uh, Tishman, who built the Swan and Dolphin, and and what else? Did and they? Epcot. Yeah, Epcot, yeah, that's right. They were the general contractor. So the so the I guess the the interesting story there is that so Tishman was contracted to build Epcot. In the, in the mid-70s, but then it was delayed because of the oil crisis. So they actually started on phase two of the Polynesian Resort in order to get them busy and then uh, get them acclimated to working in Florida with like union and non-union workers. Uh, so then when the Epcot contract picked up, they did Epcot. And then immediately after Epcot was done in October of 1982, they started working on that Hilton. So they... They took it like straight into there. And then I guess it was the contracts on that Hilton um, that ended up uh, getting them into the, the controversy with uh, with Disney and then uh, which led to Eisner having them build the Swan and Dolphin Hotel. Yeah, the the uh, and I've read it a few times, but uh, it's described in detail in the book Disney War uh, written by. James Stewart, was it? Uh, about 15 years ago, I guess it is now, right? Yeah, it's almost 10 years ago. Um, but the con- the deal 
that Eisner really inherited because the deal was agreed to before he became CEO was so bad uh, that they, you know, he's like, we got to get out of this deal. And because uh, it gave Disney virtually no control and uh, and the, the, the economic terms of it were really bad. But the terms of getting out of the deal were so costly that it literally would have like bankrupted the company. Wow. So the lawyers basically came and said, I mean, Eisner wanted to stop it. He wanted to stop what, what became the Swan and Dolphin. And uh, and it was so bad that they basically said, look, we, we can't stop it. Like, we just have to, like, take lemons and make lemonade. And so he eventually got them to agree to some changes in, in the terms. Uh, and he, he wanted to be able to, I think they had to agree on the architect. So they jointly selected Michael Graves. Gotcha. Uh, who ended up designing the Swan and Dolphin? And uh, I, I suspect if we had a, a uh, an unvarnished conversation with Michael Eisner about it, he'd tell you that you know, given his druthers, uh, they wouldn't have built either of those things there. But given the circumstances, they ended up with what they thought were the most attractive things or whimsical things they could come up with to build convention hotels there. But that's the other properties that are not owned by Disney uh, that are on Disney property. But the, those are the seven. We, we've covered the seven Hotel Plaza Boulevard uh, hotels that are in existence now. And uh, really the room for an eighth sits where the preview center is. So if they ever decide to evict the AAU <laughs> and uh, demolish that, they could probably put another hotel there. Yeah. But. Well, Brian, I appreciate your research and uh trip down Hotel Plaza Boulevard. So that was really interesting stuff. And I, I liked our little retro back to Howard Johnson's. That took me back uh, quite a number of years there. So, all right. So uh, before we wrap it up this evening and uh, close out this podcast, uh, I want to let people know that we've got a couple uh, new films out there that we recently released. As we mentioned earlier, um, we released uh, the Communicore East and West home videos. And we have something going on right now called Movie Monday, which, as you can imagine, is movies, new home movies and videos coming out. Uh, on, on Mondays around 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. So we got a new Magic Kingdom 1971 as well and a 1980s publicity video, which, uh, Brian, we had that one for a while. It was kind of a neat. It, we don't often get video, but uh, when we do, it's uh, kind of uh, kind of unique. It's a, well, it was a Umatic tape that you found, I believe. Three-quarter inch video Umatic. Yep. There we go. So that's on there as well. Uh, as always, too, we have uh, different... Uh, products and items for sale that help support the, the the podcast here and uh how you had uh you had fun last month with uh the the sperry one i want to tell listeners about the the shirt oh, you designed oh yeah the did we uh the smart one yeah well well you had brought up during our podcast the uh the joke about solid state so much in the spirit of our uh of our horizons shirt uh with the uh, send a farmer to school that's what is right. a what is a quote? Send a uh, send a far, uh, send us your child, and in five years we'll return a farmer. Is yes, I believe what, was what we had we had converted to <laughs> convert that to Latin. Yes. for the shirt. So we did a a solid state you know university uh, alumni shirt. That's right, home of the Sperry Smart Ones. Yeah, 
which is of, great. I mean, I don't, I don't think they'll sell quite as much as the Monsters University stuff is selling, but, <laughs> huh. you know, which none of us can figure out, yeah, right? right? Like we can't figure out why the Monsters University has become the thing everybody wants to. Yeah, I, I don't. I have some have. theories, but I mean, I don't know. If it's, it's probably beyond <laughs> beyond the scope of our podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So if you do head over to retrowdw.com forward slash support us, we'll take you to our online store where you can pick out t-shirt, mugs, uh, stickers, uh, cell phone cases, tapestries. We have many ca- tapestries now and <laughs> artwork and all sorts of stuff. Uh, so feel free to you know browse that. And again, if you do purchase it, all the proceeds go to help keeping us on the air and allowing us to purchase and um, restore some of the videos and films. All right, guys, so next month uh, we've decided to go back to the Magic Kingdom, spend a little time there on uh, two lost attractions, uh, one being the Swan Boats and the other being the Skyway, which uh, I think uh, all of us had been on at some point, and uh, we've got some great foot, old footage of the Swan Boats, and there's, it seems to the Brian, every film we look at, somebody's got some great shots looking down at the at the uh at the 20,000 leagues and other shots which always seems to be drained recently <laughs> the latest films we've gotten that <laughs> they're drained it's drained yeah so you get beautiful footage of the rooftops yeah and uh guys on their smoke breaks up there yeah, right. and yeah. emergency escape you know, patches it was it was not a very scenic but I, I i wonder do you think the view of roy's cabin was better from there or the the sheraton or one of the others over there at the hotel plaza i I think it was probably best from Discovery Island looking out. That's true, too. Like, if you were on top of that ship that was beached on Discovery Island. Yeah. uh, I know the Skyway, you could see the chest of drawers, though, for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes, that's very true. Absolutely. All right. All right, gentlemen. Well, that wraps up this episode. And thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in. Appreciate uh, all the feedback and such. You can, as always... Find us on Twitter and all the Facebook and all that good stuff. And and, and we don't have a travel agent number yet. That's but right. We'll get one if we've inspired you to stay on a Hotel Plaza Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, hotel, let us know so we can we can get a, like our twelve cent commission. Yeah, we want you to book through a travel agent. We want you to drive there and sit down and get some paper tickets and confirmation and uh, wait a few days for them to call you back and tell them what rates they, that they can get for you. So. All right. Well, with that said, thanks for listening. Again, you can reach us at podcast at retrowdw.com. We'll talk to you next month. And with that, Brian, take us out. Follow Todd McCartney and RetroWDW on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com. On Twitter, follow our web designer, Jason Bartell of Deepwater Studios, at JasonDWS. Our announcer, Andre Gardner, at Andre Gardner. And follow our hosts, Hal Bowers, on Twitter and Instagram, at GoAwayGreen. And on the web, at KingdomOfMemories.com. For JT Couser on Twitter, at LS1JT. On YouTube, at Rubber City Motoring. And on the web, at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Goodbye.